It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy after Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy after Halloween, Super Shamrock. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Kate Rambo, Halloween yes. is upon us. I know it's my favorite time of the year. Watch me after this. I will just be horrendously miserable because people will start bringing up the C word. Uh, oh yeah, well I know that is one. That is one cool thing. It's like Halloween comes, and then right after Halloween, then you got to deal with the fucking holidays for two months. Well, you do, like because <sighs> you have an extra holiday. Oh yeah, we, we have just have. Too. There's already Christmas shit everywhere wherever i go it's like can we not have more halloween stuff for people what pisses me off is like rite aid so rite aid gets halloween stuff starting in like august august september so they're already kicking off halloween but then probably by like i don't know around about halloween weekend they start bringing in christmas stuff i hate it every year i I just hate it more dismal reminder of what's to come but anyway you're going to be arriving in la in a couple weeks here yeah, not long to go now. I have started packing. Yeah, I was wondering if you had already finished packing. No, I actually started packing a few weeks ago, but I've already started packing. I've been planning outfits, Halloween outfits. I'm bringing out all the top guns. They're all coming. Will uh, this be your first real Halloween experience? Yeah, because we don't celebrate Halloween over here. It isn't a thing. Like, I've dressed up before, obviously, and I've been to parties, but it's not like how it is in America. It's, yeah, you guys don't legitimately celebrate the holiday. Like, no. I don't think they do in Europe either, right? Not that I know, apart from obviously we all know what happens in Belgium. Oh, no, wait, that's Christmas. No, no, no wait, are you talking about uh, in Amsterdam? I thought it was the Netherlands where they do uh, The Netherlands, sorry, yeah, the, yeah the, the really racist Christmas. <laughs> well, once, oh, wait, Krampus is also a Christmas thing. I will celebrate really racist Christmas before I ever celebrate Christmas ever again. I mean, you guys don't even have spirit Halloween stores. No, I'm totally going to go walking around a spirit Halloween store. I, yeah, I feel, I feel sorrow for you guys. I mean, it's just sad. You guys don't even have... Like, what do you do with the corpses of your recently bankrupted stores? Well, Christmas stars. We do have Christmas stars that like rail into them. But, you know, they just sit empty and then everyone can complain in their local rag that the high street is dying and it's all the Internet's fault. I don't know. It is funny when you just see like any store that's going out of business. It's like spirit is in there with like two months after. If it's any time around the fall, a spirit's going to be in the in the corpse of that closed down store. But then does then spirit obviously goes back to its uh, eternal slumber until next year. So what what comes in spirit's wake? Nothing. It's it's really weird. It's it's ephemeral. And the thing is, I never understood about spirit. It's like where does it come from and where does it go? 
who owns what all the spirit? What is it go to? Cotton Eye <laughs> Yeah, but who owns all the spirit stuff? Like, I'll, I mean, it's a whole store filled with Halloween shit. And it's there within like, I don't know, they erect it within like a week. And then it's gone. And then you're I like, would like gone for a year. To, I want to meet the head honcho of spirit. Because do you think he's just some like Nosferatu looking old like Jew who's really rich? I think it's like, a carny. Oh, so you think it's a picker? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a carny worker. And there's all carnies that make the stuff, that store the stuff, that travel around with the stuff. I I I just don't I, it I it's inexplicable the 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 concept of spirit stores. Like yeah, I don't think you guys you guys have never really you've never experienced it, you don't have it, but it's it's I've always found it just this bizarre phenomenon. Well, we're going to go around one. Oh, yeah, there's one. For there's, all my internet friends. There's multiple, like, within two blocks. Like, you'll see them. They're everywhere. And they all have the same shit. And I think they're owned by individual, like, franchisers. Like, I don't think... Right. I don't think there's a CEO of Spirit. Maybe. But I think well, there it's, has it's to a be franchise. An, an OG. There has to be the first ever OG Spirit. Like, the first Nosferatu Jew who came up with this. Oh, you think he's a picker. We should place bets on this. I'm going to go with Nosferatu Jew. Probably a Jew, I imagine. But I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look into this. Maybe we'll do an episode on finding out the origin of spirit. I'd love it if it all started because of a grizzly murder. That's usually how the best things start, isn't it? Grizzly murders. Typically. Um. Anyway, you'll see when you get here in a couple of weeks, Halloween has a big fucking deal in LA like this is one of the not every city in America like really goes you know ape shit for Halloween because sometimes sometimes the smaller cities it's more of a kids holiday where it's like you know kids go trick-or-treating and all that but like San Francisco LA New York the big cities just go crazy for Halloween especially LA because LA I mean, there's so much shit going on like I was trying to figure out like what are we going to do but there's just so much so I did get tickets to go to Universal Horror Nights which is yes. which is a fun one. Plus, you get to you can do like a day pass too, so you get to go to like the actual Universal Studios Park, and then you go to the the Horror Nights. And that's I also have a specific outfit for that. So I used to wear this denim cut off in the early days of Asian Babes, and on the back it's a glow in the dark painted, um, you know, the zombie girl off Night of the Living Dead. Oh yeah, yeah. Of the Living Dead. Yeah. That'd be good because you'll glow when uh. And you go through, um, walk through the park. Um, won't stay dead. My other favorite thing is the haunted hayride in Griffith Park. Yeah, we're doing that. Which is, it's just really low budget compared to like Universal, but I think it's cooler. So, so we're going to go do that. And then there's like, I don't know, 20 immersive haunted houses. But I don't know. I kind of find those annoying. There's... I, just, I just don't want to be touched by a stranger at any point. They usually Maybe don't touch you. They usually don't touch. Well, it depends on the ones you go to. I know uh, we've covered a few of them on the show before. I remember, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, we interviewed that one guy that did the documentary, mostly on uh, McKamey Manor. You know that McKamey Manor where you have to like sign a, you got to sign a contract. That, yeah, that was uh, the Harrison era. Yeah. It, well, yeah. I, I think the Harrison did the show, so it must have been a few years ago. But uh, yeah, that guy's like sadistic lunatic russ mccamey i would never do that but there was another one called blackout and that's one that they do touch you and like you you go in into a room and they just shut off all the lights and you're just basically just by yourself 
and they like come up and they grab you and you're it's and it's it's supposed to be very disorienting and very scary. I would never do that either. I would never do that unless they were pumping in let's wait for the blackout by the damned. <laughs> then I'd be I'm, fine with it. Should, so I'd be like, should, I'm just in a pit. They should do that at the end. You know what um, that one girl uh that was murdered, Amy Nicole, mm-hmm. who um was uh dating uh Drew Carey. She, I remember one time we were hanging out and she was telling me she went on a date. This is before she was dating Drew Carey. She went on a first date with a guy and he took her to Blackout LA for your first date. That's a bit extreme, mate. Like, yeah. just like have a cup of coffee or something together first. That's a bit, a bit. But she much. thought it was just weird. Like, they, they, he picked her up and he was like, Yeah, I got a surprise for you. And they go to Blackout LA. You don't go in together, you go in one at a time. So, that's even weirder then. Yeah. She was like, it's not bonding. I mean, she was like, it was an interesting experience, but I was, but I was just confused. Like, why would we do this on a first date? So she, I bet you he she didn't. She obviously never saw him again. Yeah. I don't think he scored. Maybe he did. Who knows? Um, but yeah, there's all, so there's all that. We probably won't go to too many uh, haunted houses, although there's one in Thousand Oaks called Reign of Terror that I've heard of. I've heard this one's actually kind of cool. So maybe. Uh, then there's uh, Dia de los Muertos. That's like the next day after Halloween. And that's a huge deal as well. So there's just a ton of shit going on. I'm um, excited. What are you most looking forward to? Wearing all my outfits and dressing up for Halloween. Forcing you to dress up in a costume because it's our first Halloween together, even though you're not jazzed to dress up. But I'm forcing you to do it because it's uh, our I first Halloween. I hate dressing Halloween. up. I hate You're going to look up. great. I like dressing up as uh, what Frank from Blue Velvet. That's my easy one. It's just, you know, it's pretty much what I normally wear, except for the bolo tie. This is better because you actually do look a bit like the person you're going to be dressing up as. King Neil Diamond. King Neil fucking Diamond, and I'm going to be your groupie. Your seven. I'm going to look like Priscilla, the undead Priscilla Presley. But we're dressing up in makeup and everything to go to a show. Everyone, there'll be other people dressed up there. And plus, like, everyone will be stopping to take your picture and you can just be King Neil Diamond for the day. I think it's so... F- when I came up with it, I was like, you know, when you have, like, a bit of a yes moment, that's what I did. I it is a good concept. Myself. I know. Um, I started watching uh, Halloween movies. Like me too. Um, you told me the other day about uh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which I probably haven't seen that since the 90s. Probably maybe maybe the late eighties. Like I, I remember watching it as a little kid, but what a bizarre film! It's been a while since I've watched all the Halloweens in like a row. So I thought, oh, I'll just do it. And Netflix was getting rid of them, so I've just been throwing them on. And because I always forgot, like, did I like Halloween Free or did I not? Yes, I love Halloween Free. I think Halloween Free is just a movie that even if you don't know the franchise, because it's got nothing to do with Michael Myers, <laughs> you can just like watch it. It's such an outlier, though. That's the weird thing. It's completely unrelated to the the timeline of the franchise. So there's Halloween 1, Halloween 2, which, you know, is chronological. And then there's Halloween 3, which makes absolutely no sense. And Michael Myers isn't even in it. It's bonkers. It's brilliant. It's (laughs) It's so bizarre. It was a romp of a horror film. I love the first three. Then they do start getting a bit boring. But I'm just about to watch. I think it's six that has young Paul Rudd in it. And then I'll be on to the new ones. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of the 90s ones in a while. I don't mind the, the Jamie Lee Curtis where she's a badass now. Like she's like a, like a recluse that, 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 that has her own militia. Like she's, she's kind of cool. Like, she's like Linda Hamilton in uh, Terminator. 
there's a lot of talk constantly between me and Stuart on the Discord about how much we have just like actual boners for Jamie Lee Curtis. Don't say it. I know what you want to say. She's well, fit, man. She's fit. I'm, I'm just saying I know why Stuart likes Jamie Lee Curtis. Because <laughs> she's her hermaphrodite. <laughs> <laughs> Don't so, say that. She's not. I love you, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> So I've, I was looking up Halloween because I, I watched so I watched Halloween three, then I watched Halloween two. I've seen Halloween one so many times I don't really need to see that one again for a while. Although it's a great movie, but um, John Carpenter, who's the director and also co-wrote uh, both, he didn't actually he wasn't the writer of Halloween. He's a co-writer. He had a, a writing partner, uh, this woman named Deborah Hill. He said he was inspired to uh, to 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 write the movie Halloween after he had a uh, a creepy encounter. While he was at the at Western Kentucky University, and so he had a class, a psychology class, and they went to a mental institution, and uh, he was with uh, 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 Deborah Hill, who was his writing partner, and they visited this uh, you know this mental institution with serious mentally ill patients, and there was a kid who was only about twelve years old that just like the whole time just stood there staring. This like vacant stare. He said his eyes just look like they're almost all like pupil, like black. I'm enjoying the story, but I am a little offended by how you're talking about Deborah Hill because Deborah Hill is more than just his writing partner. John Carpenter movies wouldn't have happened without Deborah Hill. Well, yeah, I mean, they, she's Take the writer the, with all those Halloween movies. But I mean, they were they all were, his they movies. Went, yeah, they went to university together, and they're like best friends. They collaborated. Um, she's but they, awesome. They both experienced this kid. You're first saying because they're in kids. this class. Um, and he said, uh, you know, this experience with this kid inspired that famous line, um, you know, that uh, Dr. Loomis said, you know, the blank, pale, emotionless face, blackest eyes. I realized what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. <laughs> he also credits um, uh, Yul Brynner's character in uh, the, the movie Westworld. Do you ever see that? Uh, I just want to put this out into the universe right now. I find Ewell Brenner, he is just one of the sexiest people who ever, ever lived. He he's great. gorgeous. He's great in Westworld. He's the killer robot that can be killed. And uh, that was another inspiration, uh, Carpenter said, for uh, the Michael Myers character. Make him human, but almost like a force that will never stop. So yeah, it's, that's yeah, it's kind of cool. But, you know, so after reading that, I was like, you know, there's a lot of horror films that were inspired by actual events or crimes. Um, yeah. Science of the Lambs, for example. Remember we did uh, uh, Gary Heidnick? We covered Gary Heidnick, I think, probably last November, December. Yeah, um, he was great, the cult. But Buffalo Bill is a composite character based on Ed Gein, Gary Heidnick, and also Ted Bundy. Yeah. So there's aspects, but mostly Gary Heidnick, who built and designed that torture chamber in the basement of his home uh, where he had like prostitutes and mentally challenged adults <laughs> that, uh, that he tortured in there and held them captive for sex. Um, uh, much like Buffalo Bill 2, Leatherface, also based on Ed Gein. Norman Bates from Psycho, also based on Ed Gein. Ed Gein was like the kind of uh, archetype for a lot of these guys, even though Ed Gein isn't even a serial killer. No, just uh, I mean, well, I mean, he killed a lot of. Uh, he killed like what, like three, four people. How many no, people did Gein kill? He killed one person, but uh, he definitely killed good taste. Let's put that out there. Yeah, um, the strangers. You ever see that movie? 
I don't know, maybe the strangest. It's kind of like a basically this family breaks in and tortures this couple, but they were inspired by uh, the Manson family killings of Sharon Tate. There you um, go. Amityville Horror. Remember we covered that, and I think it was yeah. last year, last uh, last Spooktober. Amityville <laughs> Horror was based on the uh, on uh, the story of Ronald uh, DeFeo Jr., who murdered his parents and his siblings with a rifle, saying he heard <laughs> voices. Yeah, for, no, he didn't. He fucking heard the bells chiming for some money to buy some heroin off the mob. <laughs> That's what he heard. Uh, that inspired the, the the movie and the and the book. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes, Wes Craven. He was inspired by the uh, story of Sonny Bean. Oh no way! I've been yep. to Sonny Bean's cave. That's yeah. like where where they think his cave was. I went there. That was a fun trip out. Sonny Bean and his clan killed and ate a thousand people around the year sixteen hundred. Yeah, that's what they say. But that was fun. It's a local legend. That's like around the corner from me. You know, a Scottish historian uh, recently told the BBC that the legend was most likely a damning fiction created by a prejudiced Englishman. Dig at the Scots. Yeah, whatever. The caves are there and you can get to them. You just have to be careful because of the tides. <laughs> so wait, you actually went to the cave? Yeah, we went to the cave. I went there with my uh, brain tumor ex. He was very fierty about it because uh, of the tides. So he didn't want to get caught. But we made it there and went and looked around. Did you find any bones? No, I was looking though. Obviously, I was looking. But you're talking about like something that happened years ago. And this is all Roman and Viking country. I can find a, a bone wherever I want. <laughs> well, anyway, this year here on Sick and Wrong, to celebrate Spooktober, uh, we're planning to cover several macabre stories in the next three, ep- next three episodes, the next three weeks. Right. Um, these macabre stories, events, crimes, murders, inspired horror films. And if you can guess the name of the horror film that was inspired by the crime or the event that we cover, then we'll send you a fabulous Sick and Wrong prize. Yeah, we'll send you some goodies. Some it's been a while since we've done a, uh, a listener contest. It's a Spooktober contest here. So we're going to cover a crime. Uh, we've got a really obscure one uh, uh, this week's show. And if you can name the film, and you have to uh, DM us on the Sick and Wrong Instagram, I think it's probably the easiest way to go about it. Plus, you'll get to sign up to our, our amazing Instagram page. But if you DM us on our uh, Instagram page and let us know the name of the film that was inspired by this crime, um, you'll win a fabulous prize. Don't don't cheat. Yeah. Anyone can cheat and just like Google shit. But if you if you don't know the name of the film, next week we're gonna be talking all about the films. Like we'll talk about it a week later on our Patreon. Because yeah, this we'll film that we're it. doing, I think is one of the greatest films ever made. <laughs> I won't go that far, but it is a really I think good it's horror brilliant. film. Um so, yeah, we have a very obscure one uh, that we're going to cover uh, from the early 80s um, based on a relatively unknown killer. I don't think many people uh, have probably ever heard of this guy. But before we get into that, um, I just want to ask that everybody out there uh, take a minute, go check out our Patreon page. Um, you know, we had a few, we had a couple new patrons already signed up this week, which is great. But if you Hi. like what we do, if you like what we do here on the show, you know, what we've been doing for almost 17 years. Uh, we ask that you sign up for Patreon and you know give us a couple bucks. You know you're directly helping us uh, keep the show going, um, paying for costs. Uh, you know for the show. You know for only five bucks a month, you get access to uh, Sick and Wrong Second Show. So there's two full shows a week. Um, on Second Show uh, this week, we talk about Joe Kelly moving back to uh, New York City. 
finally left his studio in the loin, the same building that I lived in, but he lived there for 14 years. I crazy? sent him a video that grossed him out, and I was like, have fun moving back. And all he said was, <laughs> I'm going to vomit. I don't think there's much love lost there. Um, we get some details on uh, Kate's upcoming trip to L.A. for Halloween and an insane news story about a Colorado woman who duct taped, choked her Tinder date with a belt, threatened him, and then ordered pizza for delivery. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like what I'll be doing to you in like two weeks' time. And then for a few dollars more, you get the uh, Sigurong Overkill. Uh, what'd you do, uh, Kate Rambo? What, what'd you do Overkill on this week? Well, it's going to be a two-parter. It's um, I fell in love with a monster. So this week is all about like kind of serial killer groupies. And um, there's actually a really hunky one, James Whitehouse. And, but next week is going to be a really big case like people will know about next week's. Do you remember uh, Richard Ramirez, all those women, that all those admirers that would show up in the courthouse? Yeah. Well, do you know what? I scoured the internet to get, um, it's very hard to find interviews of his uh, ex-wife, Doreen, but I found some great interviews of her. And then there's, yeah, some of his groupies who were talking about, one of them went to go and meet him while he was on death row and he just whacked it out. He just <laughs> got it out for her. <laughs> so, I mean, what does he have to lose? Yeah, exactly. You might as well just get your knob out. (laughs) So patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. We do appreciate the support. Um, Real quick, here's a second show teaser from a recent show that we're hoping will convince you to sign up for the Patreon. And uh, then uh, we'll get into uh, uh, the story of Austrian mass murderer Werner Nisak. But this woman's fucking batshit mental. Like, Stephanie's telling me she went on a date because she's divorced, and she went on a date with some dude and got completely loaded, and they were doing blow and, like, partying all night. Went back, fucked, and she didn't want to stay the night, so the guy passed out, and she just went and took a shit on his leather couch and left. How many women do that? I mean... that's very French to do it. It's a French <laughs> Is that a this. French thing to do? Like when we changed Ozzy's birthday party, weren't we totally trying to get Jojo to hook up with her to see if I it would still happen think again? He, I still think. Oh my god, that'd be so great if they she shit on Jojo's futon. <laughs> <laughs> keep it safe and keep it wrong on Patreon.com. So Kate Rambo, Werner Niesek yes. was an Austrian triple murderer. Uh, who's considered to be one of the most dangerous offenders in uh, Austria's criminal history. He tortured and killed well, a family of three while on parole. I was about to say, probably one of the, the biggest mass murderers of all time. There's <laughs> a little Austrian boy, wasn't he, who didn't get let into art school. I guess this guy might be a little more, well, a little more modern um, than the other one. But yeah, there was a, uh, a disgruntled emo art student who ended up uh, killing a few people. Before we um, go any Austria. further with this, I do just want to bring up that time that uh, you were in Austria with your, uh, one of your exes and you wanted to go to Fritzl's house and she wouldn't let you. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, she was also concerned about time. Oh, okay. I can understand that yeah. now, but I thought she didn't want to go because she didn't want to see the house where <laughs> a man basically imprisoned his daughter to fuck her. She definitely didn't think it was as cool as I did. <laughs> so I, I still need to go back there. 
Um, we'll go to Fritzl's, definitely. It's on the I list. definitely. Awesome. Vienna's a great city too. I'd love to go back. I only really we only were there for like a night. So. I mean, yeah, I've never been properly like for a holiday, but I've been like uh, played gigs there. It's expensive. That's why I remember about Vienna. Yeah, I definitely want to go back there. So Werner Niesek was born November 17, 1946, in Salzburg, Austria. Uh, he was a, an illegitimate child, never knew his father. Um, he started committing crimes and was a bit of a ne'er-do-well at an early age. <laughs> what a little bastard. Yeah, like he, when he was like, you know, like nine, ten years old, he was skipping school. He was stealing. He was a, run- he was a, a, a youthful runaway. Um, didn't know his father and his mother was kind of overwhelmed with him, but also just didn't really care that much about him. It, it sounded like the mother feeling. was a, a bit of a depressive. And so she wanted him to find his own house. <laughs> so when he got to the point where he was already like committing crimes, getting into trouble with the law, she was like, yeah, you know what? You can move out on your own. And he was rather upset about this. So uh, he ended up stabbing her. Several times. Didn't kill her, but he he cut her up. He cut As up somebody who was also made homeless at a young age, I can understand the urge to uh, to cut up your parents into little bits because they think they know better. But anyways. Yeah, he's, yeah, he stabbed her. Did she survive? She survived. I mean, she, she definitely had some scars, but he also stole some money and he fled to Germany. Um, he was arrested in Hamburg and then extradited back to Austria. I've been to Hamburg. Good, good drinking town. Good for a weekend. Now, um, Nisik had a bit of a brutal relationship with his mother. So it said uh, around this time too. I I think this is kind of this definitely will play into his 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 you know crimes he eventually committed. But around that time, like age fourteen, fifteen, before he got kicked out of the house, he had an S and M relationship with an older woman, Ooh. and this was also represented in the film. In the beginning, mm-hmm. when they do the exposition on the on the on the the psychopath, um, yeah, he uh, he had he married later on too. He married a prostitute ten years his senior. So he had this brutal relationship with his mother. He uh, when he was only fourteen, he was involved with a woman who was probably old enough to be his mother that wanted would let him like tie her up, bind her, whip her, and uh, and spank her and abuse her. Because they had this like kind of weird S and M relationship. So if you think about it, fourteen years old, that has to have lasting effects. Has to influence your, uh, you know, your sexuality. Well, I like how in the film he says, uh, "I didn't like it at first, but then I began to like it." <laughs> <laughs> um, his mom said that uh, he was an adored darling of the entire family, third uh, and youngest son. Yeah, wasn't really adored by his dad, was he? He's a bastard. Um, well, the, yeah, I mean, obviously there's no father there. His mom did say that he was fearful, stoic, and secretly brutal. So <laughs> He kind of sounds like somebody I would have fancied at 15. <laughs> well, he definitely had some issues. I mean, you know, ran away from home. He was put in a boor- uh, boarding school. He was given psychiatric care while he was in, in boarding school because of his admirate behavior. Um, at 13, his behavior became abnormal. Um... He uh, fled the boarding school and uh, attempted suicide. That was the first time he attempted suicide. He attempted suicide several times. Um, Nisik, it was around this time, too, that he started dating the, uh, the, the S&M relationship with the, with the older woman. Um, at her request, he would beat her, 
usually with a horse whip. He was her sexual pawn. Um, and then it was through this experience with this woman and the relationship with his mother that he started forming, like, I, I guess more of like a fetish for torturing women. I get it. It's a natural progression, really, isn't it? Yeah. And plus, he's at this sex- sexy age, you know, and he's 13, 14. You're about to start, like, thinking about, like, humping everything. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's at that point you're, I guess, discovering sexuality. Yeah. And so this this kid, you know, obviously had some bizarre, like, you know, abnormal experiences at that age, which definitely affects your uh, sexuality. Um, so he ended up getting two years of juvenile detention for stabbing his mom. And uh, after he was released, immediately went back to committing crimes. Nisik uh, committed several burglaries, and he shot a 73-year-old woman. Why? What was she doing? Was she walking really slowly in front of him down the street? Completely random. Just knocked on her door, she answered the door, and he just shot her. I think it's because she was walking really slowly in front of him, and he couldn't get past her. Because isn't that so annoying? I would shoot. I hate it when people do that. You know when you're walking down a very small road, and, they and you can't like, the put sidewalk. Across? I would just put a pullet in this. The other thing that really irritates me as well, or on this subject, is when mothers with two pushchairs and their babies in their pushchairs stand side by side on a very small street. I live in Britain, D. The streets are small here. And you're trying to get past them and they, they fucking won't let you. Like, it's the ignorance of it. Like, you've chosen to have a child. I've chosen to not. Let me get past. I'm going somewhere. What do you Bitches. do? Do you just stand there till they notice you? No, you do the British thing where you go, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. I think I would shoot them if I was driving behind an old lady. That's the worst. Um, But in the film that hoping some uh, lucky listener is going to be able to name, the psychopath in the film also stabbed his mother in the chest, but with a a knife. Um, He was sent to prison for four years, and after he was released, he then went and shot a 70-year-old woman with a pistol, which is a great scene. That's like the very beginning of the movie. But it's, it's so true to life. This is one of the only... You know, a lot of movies are like loosely inspired on on uh, on uh, actual events. This is like almost a one to one mapping. It's a it's a beat for beat. I would say after reading about it and then the movie too. It's beat for beat. It's great. So after he shot the 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 seven year old woman with a pistol, he was in prison for ten years for murder, which is insane. Like in the, in Austria, you just get ten years. It's just European uh, um, punishment. Well, no, he probably, hey, he could have had a good lawyer and he's obviously mentally disturbed. So they probably said he was going down a troubled track. Let's lock him up for 10 years well, in a really uh, horrible prison where it'll mean he'll come out just great. Well, he pleaded insanity. Society. He yeah. he pleaded insanity and was sentenced to eight and a half years. So he didn't do a full decade. Um, and he was even dismissed early in uh, January 1980 for good behavior. So a few weeks before his release, he was given a three-day prison leave from Garston Prison to seek work. Um, he had been convicted seven times by the age of 16 and had been in prison for 15 years. I kind of fancy him. insane. <laughs> um, I've got a little soft spot for him. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, guy's a, a complete, this guy is like a textbook <laughs> psychopath. So... After, when he was in jail, he was actually kind of a bit of an entrepreneur. He started making illegal liquor, which, uh, which he sold and made some money. Um, and so he bought a pistol in Vienna uh, when, it, when he was released. And so January 16th, 1980, he took a train to St. Poulton, where he posed as a carpet salesman. 
Okay, that's a legit job. Yeah. And he took a taxi to the M, I'm going to butcher this, Am Kupfer Brunberg Settlement. And Am he Kupfer just sort of. Brunberg. Yeah, he sort of just happened upon, you know, this, uh, this, this villa, more or less. I mean, it's a huge home of the Altrider family. In the... This whole setting really reminded me of Carlisle. Just like, especially because it's we've got a big forest in the middle of our city, and it, the way he was just walking through the forest, and then he suddenly hit a road, and then there's big, big old houses that are half empty. I was like, "Is it? Is this Carlisle? It is kinda, this what happened to me?" It reminded me of your neighborhood, like yeah, some of the homes there that he was walking by, and the streets just kind of looked very Euro. Um, so he he ended up scoping out this villa. And yeah, it was half empty. There was no one home except for a 26-year-old uh, a man named Walter who was disabled and was in a wheelchair. And so he saw Walter and he was like, yeah, I think this will be easy. Walter. And so, yeah, Walter, he, he broke in and he uh, scared Walter, but Walter definitely was mentally disabled as well as physically disabled. Um, and then his uh, 55-year-old mother, Gertrude, and 24-year-old sister Ingrid came home that evening. So he subdued Walter, which couldn't have been that difficult. And then uh, he waited. And when the mother and the, uh, the, the daughter came back, it was like a perfect, perfect opportunity for him. In the film, both are pretty sexy as well. Like, I love what Gertrude is wearing. And Ingrid, they do that 80s thing where you know she's a really hot chick, but they put glasses on her. So you think she isn't as hot, but she's hot. She looked really young in the in the, in the the movie, but I think she was probably 20s, early 20s. I, I got the impression she was early 20s. And we're also forgetting about the, um, the Dachshund. Yeah, there's the Dachshund, which actually that wasn't in the actual story. No, it that wasn't. Was, They've just there put was a little that bit in dramatic there, so, license. So you yeah. spend the whole film in fear of that fucking dog. <laughs> it was suspenseful because the whole time you're like, "Oh my god, is he going to kill the dog? Is he going to kill yeah. the dog?" I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to give any spoilers. All right. So he lay in wait for uh, uh, Gertrude and um, 55 year old Gertrude, who I didn't find attractive at all in the film. But I. That's I just me. Thought she was super. She was. She was sexy in like a kind of Germanish way, and but I specifically loved what she was wearing because she was wearing a lurex top with polka dot skirt and then snakeskin shoes, and she had a big old fur coat. I'm sorry, Dee, but that that is such bad taste. It's fucking iconic. I loved her, and I loved her ginger hair. She looked like a poorly mannered drag. I loved her. I did not find her sexy. Now the daughter, yeah, she was she was definitely kind of attractive. So. He overwhelmed both of them, tied up, uh, tied the girl up in the hallway to a door, which is exactly yeah. what happened in the uh, in the film. The way he tied her up to in the film, that okay, I, that was a bit erotic. But also, um, the way he tied it up was just bizarre. By the foot to the doorknob, it was all very. Yeah, I do want to put this out here now that I found this entire film very erotic. All of it was like really, it's kind of like um, early Fassbender movies where they're very gritty, very in your face with like a kind of raw sexuality. That's all that runs throughout this movie. And when he tied her to that doorknob, I 100% was like, he's about to rape her. This is irreversible and he's just about to rape her. Didn't, but, didn't you say that uh, you wank like six times in the movie? Mate, more than six. Uh, <laughs> I was turned on throughout this movie. I found it very erotic. I'm going to say it's like a Fassbender movie a lot. 
So take a shot every time I say that. So Gertrude, the mother here, thought this was a robbery, and she actually presented um, the psychopath here, Walter, or Werner, not Walter, um, presented Werner with a check for 20,000 shillings, which he didn't even want. It wasn't about money. A shilling. Hello, sire, would, would you like a shilling? So uh, he subdued the mother, tied her up, tied the, tied the daughter up to the doorknob, and then he uh, ended up torturing and strangling the uh, wheelchair-bound son with his bare hands, dragged the body from the wheelchair to the mother, tortured her as well, and then strangling her three hours later with a noose. Yeah. So part of, the, part of the fantasy, what really got him off, was seeing the mother watch her own son being tortured. Yeah, he's a freaking dickhead. Oh, no, he's a psychopath. Uh, you know, the way, so the way he killed the disabled son in the film was very dramatic. In yeah. the bathtub, it was great. The way it was shot was great, too. This whole movie is shot, the cinematography on this movie is just perfection. This, like, this steady cam so Scorsese could run. Like, I don't, I, I think Scorsese stole a lot from this film. It's amazing how it looks. Well, the oh, film definitely inspired one of my favorite directors. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, so Ingrid, poor Ingrid, tied up to the doorknob. She got the brunt of it. You know, she was mistreated by uh, Werner for seven to 11 hours. Yeah. It's a long time. And it's brutal in the film. You see it all. Yeah. And uh, I mean, but in real life, it was like 11 hours torture. And he eventually strangled her as well. Her body was covered with welts hematomas, and dozens of burn marks. Um, before she had died, she responded to a call from her fiancé saying that she was in a hurry, had no time, and had to uh, cancel a date with him. Sucks, doesn't it? I think everyone should uh, establish a safe word with their partner where if you just say a kind of word on the phone, like you know how like police do that where you can ring up police and say, I want a pepperoni pizza, and they know that you're being abused, they'll come out. I think yeah, like we should have a word. safe word like that. Yeah, we'll have to think of something. Baffery. Ooh, that works. Um, <laughs> in the film, he chases uh, uh, the, the girl. They, they don't really have names in the, fi- in the film. Even the main no, character is just called the psychopath. Uh, but he chases the girl. He stabs her multiple times with a knife, drinking her blood, and then vomiting on her. I mean, it was one of the most gruesome scenes in the, in the movie. He then laid, he laid down on her half naked and slept on the corpse. He fucks her at that point, though. Yeah. That's when he's fucking her, right? Yeah, that was all, again, very erotic. <laughs> I read that, uh, so, the, so she's covered in blood because he just stabbed her like 30 times. I read that uh, they actually used pig's blood, not stage blood, just to make it uh, more realistic. Oh, God, that must have tasted so horrible and smelt so bad. They must have had to boil it as well so that it had no, like, pathogens or whatever in it. I don't know with pig's blood. But what, that's some commitment from the actors, yeah. isn't it? Especially well, the, the main actor. Psychopath. Yeah, he was great. Um, worst part about the story, though, is uh, Werner killed the family's cat. That is very sad. But the the dog, the dog's okay, though. Well, it, well, the dog was in the movie. There's no dachshund in the. Uh, in the <laughs> I know, but story. the dog's okay. Uh, but after he killed the family's cat, Werner laid down and fell asleep next to his victims. After he'd fucked them. Well, it doesn't say. Well, yeah, I mean, he had like tortured and abused the daughter. He uh, tortured and strangled the mother and the, uh, the the wheelchair-bound son, and then he just lay down and just uh, you know had a little had a little nappy poo. 
He's so with, uh, unhinged as well because uh, the scene where he gives, he wants the mother to be alive so that the daughter can watch the mother suffer more. And he's forcing down all those heart pills into her and she's just dead and choking on them. Like that whole scene. Oh, and yeah, he did no. that in real life too. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he definitely like revived the mother so she could watch her own son being tortured to death. Um, evil. So, uh, you know, actually, um, a 21-year-old lodger that was staying with the family um, ended up surviving because uh, she wasn't at home. She exchanged her day off with a colleague. Oh, that's so a she was dodged, at, isn't it? Yeah, she ended up being at work. Could you imagine that? What are the odds? Um, so the next morning, you know, Nisik spent the night. He spent the night, slept with, his, uh, with, the, dead, with the corpses of his victims, um, along with the cat. Uh, the next morning, he oh. packed three nude bodies in the trunk of the family's Mercedes-Benz. And then he went on a shopping spree. So he, he, did, he did take the money, um, went on a shopping spree, bought a whole new wardrobe. And then uh, when he was in Carlstetten, he visited a restaurant. And the son of the owner of the restaurant became suspicious when he noticed, first of all, the, this man, this, this man who uh, was wearing black gloves that he didn't even take off for the entire meal. Um, with all, he also had like a huge stack of cash. So this guy's got like, you know, a whole stack of greenbacks. He's got like black gloves on and he's just eating the whole time and uh, without taking the gloves off, which has got to be a little weird. And then he started asking about the, the next motorway ramp. And so what was interesting in the film, the same thing happened. The psychopath took the bodies, put it in the family car, and then he went, um, he went to uh, a restaurant and ate lunch while wearing these black gloves. It's a great scene. Oh, God, this, the German sluts in that cafe. How sexy. They were like fast-bender chicks. Yeah, 80s, I hot 80s chicks. Oh, so fit, and they're doing, and uh, the director's doing all the zoom-ins on their mouths, and he's eating that sausage. Again, it was another highly charged erotic moment for me. So apparently Werner's plan was to uh, go find some other victims and then show the new victims the corpses in his trunk so they can see what, what will happen to them. Oh, it's fun so for what the was whole coming. family. Well, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's, he, he thought it would make his next crimes even more gruesome, heighten his passion. So the restaurant owner's son ended up writing down the, the Mercedes-Benz's license plate because he thought it was just weird, and he alerted the police. And uh, the police ended up going, you know, uh, uh, following up on the license plate and uh, found out it belonged to the uh, Altreaters. And so they went to the Altreaters' estate, discovered a broken window, and they saw that their three residents were missing. So they, it ended up uh, uh, being a, a nationwide search for the, uh, the kidnapped family. Uh, shortly before midnight, a radio patrol car found the Mercedes-Benz at Salzburg um, Plotz train station. And uh, he was able to arrest Nisik there and return with him to the vehicle. While searching the vehicle, uh, Nisik just opened up the trunk, which is a gr- another great scene in the actual film. Yeah. Opened up the trunk and then police discovered the three bodies. He confessed with no emotion, zero emotion. And, there was no um, cat in the real life. He didn't put the cat in the trunk. No, he didn't put just the three nude. But he stripped the bodies down and put the three nude bodies 
Let's just trunk. give a quick um, rest in peace to Mittens the kitten who died this day and then was <laughs> left at the house by himself. Poor Mittens. I like how in the film they use a dachshund though because a dachshund, like a cat's not expressive. Yeah, a cat's, cat's expressive, do what he wants. but you are on edge. That dog is so adorably dumb and you and he's just such a good, he's just such a good boy. And you are on edge that whole time where you're just like, don't you touch that dog. But they kind of have a, a symbiotic relationship. Well, it's weird. Like the, the the one part where he's murdering the girl and raping the girl, the dog's got his little tennis ball out and he's ready to play. Yeah, like, play with me. And then he sleeps. The dog also sleeps with them. That's what I mean. This like dumb, adorable dog, which, you know, if you wanted to make the film even more gruesome he would have killed the dog but i like the fact he didn't they yeah. kind of had a good working relationship it was like a buddy cop movie not the not the best protector of the household but that's fine <laughs> what, can, what can a dash one do i don't <laughs> like sausage dogs very much um so yeah he confessed to the uh, you know uh to the nature of his crimes no emotion and he was ended up being uh transferred to the vienna psychiatric clinic for further studying um he said that he had a desire to kill. That was it. A sheer desire to kill. And that's what motivated him to uh, murder this family. True and uh, psychopath. the murder served only his mental satisfaction. And he, you know, said there was no other reason to do it. He w- it wasn't financially motivated. It wasn't revenge. He just did it just to kill for the thrill of killing. <laughs> What most people, I'm assuming most people have seen Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. And this film reminded me of that. But this is like actually way more what a psychopath is actually like. This is probably the closest film we will ever get to seeing like a true psychopath. Like a true, yeah, true psychopathic nature. Um, He even, you know, he even said that, uh, uh, Werner said that he forced Gertrude Altreeder, the mother, to take her heart medicine so she wouldn't lose consciousness and experience the agony even more so. Uh, That scene in the movie, it's one Uh. of my favorite scenes. The other is when he's drinking the water. He's like, drinking that fucking water. He drinks it. The acting was just amazing. It was great. So when uh, Werner was in front of the judge, he uh, he told the judge... Also, once again, no emotion, just, you know, expressionless. I just love it when women shiver in deadly fear because of me. It's like an addiction, which will never stop. He said that to the judge. (laughs) Um, His psychiatrist uh, classified him as extremely abnormal, but not mentally ill. An explosive mixture of lust for destruction and addiction to physical violence. But he's not mentally ill. I think he is. He's shagging dead bodies. (laughs) Which I see nothing wrong with, but it is mentally ill. Yeah. So uh, when he was in uh, Salzburg uh, Provincial Court in a holding cell, he tried to commit suicide again, but uh, ended up surviving. And so July 4th, 1980, uh, Werner Niesig was sentenced by the St. Pulton District Court to life imprisonment and admitted to an institution for the mentally unstable. 1983, tried to escape from uh, Stein Prison, but he failed. Oh, that's amazing that he tried, though. Yeah. What's interesting, I saw this on the Wikipedia page, that uh, at a press conference, a minister of justice, Christian Broda, said that um, if Nisik had been convicted after January 1st, 1975, none of these crimes would have actually happened. Because at that point in time, the concept of insanity had been extended so that perpetrators like Nisik could be accommodated to mental hospitals. So prior to 1975, he was just in regular prisons, in and out, you know, for a couple of years, even though... He was seriously mentally deranged. 
I tried looking about where his whereabouts are now, or even if he's dead or alive. I think he's dead. Yeah, Werner's definitely died in prison. But there's not much about the guy. There's also not yeah, much about this film either. Yeah, there really isn't, even though I think this film is absolutely amazing. It's just shot so wonderfully. It's shot perfect, in fact. But unless we can't read it, I can't read uh, German-Austrian. Neither can you. But I'm sure that you can go back and look at old newspaper articles. Yeah, about those his who crime. Well, so after 1975, a nine-member working group was, was formed, which would capture prisoners who were sentenced under the existing penal code until 1975. And the new penal code would fall into a group of mentally abnormal lawbreakers and potential recidivists, which he definitely was. I mean, this guy, as soon as he got out of prison, he was like ready to kill again. That's like the first no scene in the movie where he's like, yeah. and I'm out and I'm going to go and kill. <laughs> I've been thinking about it for 10 long years. So instead of putting these prisoners in like a general population, like a regular prison, they're put in a special institution, which is where this guy should have been locked up and never allowed to leave. Oh, he's a nutter. Yeah. But in the film, uh, th- this is what I was so impressed with the film and what we've kind of mentioned. First of all, it's, it doesn't need like Henry Portrait of Serial Killer. It's a pretty high budget film. It's very Hollywood. Yeah, it's very it? Hollywood. Yeah. And it's got this narrative, you know, like a full Hollywood narrative. Like it doesn't, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's Michael Rooker, right? I think it's Michael yeah. Rooker. And yeah. doesn't he like fall in love with his crime partner, like his sister or something? And then there's like this whole relationship that draws a wedge in, in their partnership. It's, a, it's, it's like a Hollywood narrative. There's no narrative with this, but there's no narrative for any psychopath. And that's no, what, there isn't. why this film represented, you know, psychopathy so well. Um, you know, he's cruel, he's sadistic, no remorse, revels in other people's suffering. And uh, he does suffer from mental illness, and that's, that's obvious, because you can kind of see you know, just the way he behaves. But, you know, he acts, all of his actions are deliberate. I mean, he's doing this to get off. Yeah, and it is erotic, too. It, uh, uh, it's a horny film. There's moments in it where I was, I was like, whew, yeah. Yeah, his, right. his desire to cause, like, fear and pain to his victims, you know, it's, it's almost, it's inhuman. But the, it is inhuman because they're not, they can't feel human emotions. Like, I don't think any of us can really, like, it's safe for us in our little bubbles because we aren't like them. But, I mean, true psychopaths are so rare and so few and far between. Like, Ted Bundy wasn't a psychopath. He showed empathy. He showed sadism. A true psychopath, somebody like this, who has nothing behind them, is terrifying. Because he is like Michael Myers. He's just yeah. blank on the inside. And he's only out, he's like ultraistic. He's only out to please himself. He All he wants to do is kill for his own satisfaction. And they did a great job representing that character in, uh, in the film. All so, the casting was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, it, it was brilliant. So I'm going to give you a couple hints here. A couple hints to see. And please, don't cheat. If you cheat, you're a dick. So don't cheat. Don't look up his name and try to find out what film inspired it. But I'm sure there are people out there who have seen this film before. It's foreign, number one. Um, came out in the early 80s. It inspired one of my favorite directors um, to, to start doing film. Inspired his whole filmmaking style. Gaspar Noé, who uh, I, I can totally see that he's taken everything this film has given, and he's done it. 
It's you, like irreversible is basically the, when I was watching this film, I was like, this is just irreversible, but the 80s version. You know what? I thought it was more like I Stand Alone. Do you remember when you were here? Yeah. We watched that. That was his first film. And it was about basically a psychopath that, remember, he like beat up his, his, his wife and then just was this horrible person who just had no empathy, no compassion, and just killed, you know, for the thrill of it. And it was kind of, it was definitely like lower production value. He watched this film and was completely inspired to, 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 to make his first movie. I know that the cinematographer is Polish and he comes from the same kind of generation of like Roman Polanski and all those um, Polish Renaissance filmmakers. And holy shit, like he is just fantastic. Yeah, he was great in this movie. Also, the uh, soundtrack is uh, is really famous too um, from this yeah. film. But uh, Gaspar Noé, I Stand Alone is great. Irreversible is an amazing movie. Enter the Void is a very interesting one. If you're, if some, it's not one of my favorites of his, but it's a very interesting film. I, don't I feel you, like I, I've seen Enter the Void. You might have. It's all done like point of view. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I've only seen that once. Whereas Irreversible, I've obviously seen many, many. I'm sure you found that one quite erotic. Times. It's um, erotic, especially one scene in particular involving <laughs> exactly. a pregnant woman. Gaspar Noé claims to have seen this particular film we're talking about. 40 times. I don't blame him. I could see this film 40 times. I always think, I know personally, when a film is good, when I, straight after just watching it, I can watch it all again. And there's certain films that I do watch. Like, I've seen Point Break probably 200 million times. I could watch Point Break right now and I would still not be bored. This is a film that I could just turn on and put on tomorrow and just re-watch it all again. Just like over the top. Oh, how is many, that your favorite? How many arm wrestling movies are that good that, that, that hit so close to home? How many you know? arm wrestling movies are they actually? That's probably the only one. Gaspar Noe, when asked about the movie, I guess he also is on the Blu-ray release talking about it. Um, he said it was banned all over the world, even in France. It was one of the last movies to be X-rated for extreme violence. I, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. And due to financial constraints and controversy surrounding the film, obviously it's X-rated for extreme violence. The director never did another film. There's only <gasps> what, one. what a film to leave. See, I would love to do that, to just direct one fucking movie and have it be a little slice of perfection like this. Yeah, well, I think he was embarrassed by it because it got a lot of criticism. He Shocked should everybody. not be embarrassed. This is one of the greatest like psychopath movies ever, ever made. It, it, the beauty of it, it looks so good. And it's really erotic. <laughs> I know, you keep saying that, which is very disturbing. Um, <laughs> Megan Navarro from uh, BloodyDisgusting.com, uh, she praised the film, saying that uh, the film makes even Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer look somewhat tame. Oh, see, there we go. Yeah. Uh, me and this chick can hang out, write some articles <laughs> together, talk about how we wank to this film. Um, people definitely go check it out. If uh, you know, we'll, we'll if mention you know. one next next week. I'm not going to mention the name, but if you can name this film, if you have an idea, you want to take a guess at it, go to the Sick and Wrong Instagram page and DM us. And if you do win, we will send you a uh, a prize, probably yeah, a T-shirt. Like- but shirts and we've got some photographs knocking around we'll sort you something out we have some stuff we'll even have prizes for runner-ups so anyway go to the sick and wrong podcast instagram page and dm us the name of this film um 
It's episode 864 here, Sick and Wrong. God, 864. We're coming up on 900. Um, we got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. It's Butt Plug Month on AdamandEve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, AdamandEve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. So we've got a couple uh, phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032 is the number of the Sick and Wrong hotline. Um, you can also email us, sickandwrongpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an MP3. Um, we've been getting some good calls this week, but I want more. So people definitely uh, <laughs> give us a good story. This, you know, the, this caller that I'm about to play, we haven't heard from him in a while. I love oh. when people check back in. I do too. You know, well, because you, you, know, you wonder, it's like, you know, we get, we have frequent callers, but then there's some certain people that, you know, we used to call in, they always have great stories, but then they, you know, you don't hear from them for a few months. So it's cool that uh, Big Papa Smurf is checking back in. Uh, can I also say, Marshall Island Tony, where are you? I miss you. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder what Marshall Island Tony is doing on Halloween. Yeah, I would like to know about Halloween in Japan. I know they do, like, they enjoy the cutesy side of it. I would like to see, uh, yeah. to hear. Be interesting to find out. Anyway, here's Big Papa Smurf. Yo, what's up, DNK? It's uh, it's a Big Papa Smurf, and uh, got I had a bit of a journey. Um, a couple, uh, like a month, about a month ago, went on my first tour with my band. Just recently finished that up. It was about a month fucking long. Uh, definitely was not in a financial position to do that, but. I'm a fucking idiot, and I'm in a band, so that's it. <laughs> that's a long tour for a whole month. Yeah, I mean, I just don't have it in me to tour for a fucking month. Living I, in a that's van? That's like part of the reason I couldn't do it. But it's exciting. It is exciting. Well, it's I'm fun going to all those new, new cities, but living in a van, being that close to other people. You forget, you forget what you're doing as well, and you drink a lot, you party a lot, stuff goes down. You, you eat really badly. You don't know where you are. It's got to be kind of tough too to have. I mean, you'd have to have a job that will allow, enable you to take a month off. And, and well, that's why like most that. musicians are in the fucking service industry because you can just bounce. If they're like, "No, you can't have that off," you're like, "Fuck it, I'll go work in a kitchen anywhere, mate." Bye. You just go get a new job, yeah. But um, I I used to I used to you know I used to know like when people would talk about like the deathcore scene, um, that there were a lot of uh, predators. You know, sex, you know, you know, sexual assaulters and, you know, abusers. Not surprised to hear that. In the deathcore <laughs> yeah. scene, there's a lot of perverts. Not totally. surprised to hear that. Things like that. But I had no clue. I had no fucking earthly idea that it was as bad as it is. We went on tour with um, six bands. We ended with fucking two. Wow. I mean, if you think about it, how many women... First of all, how many women are members of deathcore bands? None. How many women are in the audience of a deathcore show? Just a, just wags. I think two hapless girlfriends who are forced yeah, to be what there. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. It's um, a total sausage fest. Oh, it has to be. So I imagine if there is an attractive woman there, she's going to get preyed upon by all the pervs. Yeah, dicks. 
and it was like so we're sitting around a fucking campfire and one of the got one of the vocalists of, of the band walks up to us we're like roasting fucking chicken legs over the fire like fucking caveman just having a great time and he's just like this chick said said i raped her when she was well, two and a half years ago and we're all we all our jaws fucking hit the floor and we that's got to be awkward you guys are sitting around campfire just telling stories reminiscing a little bit of nostalgia and he's like oh yeah and then i raped these three girls it reminds me of that that film that we uh we watched recently i really like with um the guy who tells the story about raping oh uh your friends and neighbors friends and neighbors people have seen this movie ben stiller's in this movie aaron eckhart's in the movie it's Aaron Eckhart, isn't it? Who tells the- no, no, it's, it's not Aaron. It's not Aaron Eckhart. It's that other guy. I can't remember that guy's name. Jason something. Oh, is it Jason Patrick? Jason Patrick. Yeah. Where they, so they're talking about like, what's the best sex you ever had? And so he tells a story like, there, he tells a story about raping like a classmate of his, like a, a mentally like disabled classmate of his. No, he's not mentally disabled. They're in like sophomore year and they all rape him and he goes last and he says... But it was different with us because he was moving his hips in an appreciative way. And they're all just like, but his character is amazing in that. He's like Patrick Bateman, but better. I thought they bullied this kid because he was retarded. He's not retarded. No, he's just a kid that they bullied in school and then they rape him. And But he's the last to go. And he says that the kid fucks him back. He said like, it was the what, best that's sex. That's what rapists say. Like, he said what it was the, the fuck? The best sex he ever had. And the other, his two friends are like, Dude, what the fuck? Mine was with my <laughs> I wife. imagine a similar, this is a very similar facial expression on Big Papa Smurf where you're like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. We tried to ride it out, but we couldn't because this motherfucker had altogether 13 fucking women accuse him of raping him. <gasps> like, it was, it was, it was fucking insane. We had people asking us to asking us why we're hanging out with them and shit. And I'm just like, we all had to explain, like, we found out the same day everybody else did. Like, this shit, you yeah. know, like, it was fucking with our reputations. We, oh, my God. Would you just stop the tour? Or I would not, I just wouldn't play with that guy's band. Well, I think he would immediately get, he probably got called out on social media, right? And then that day, they all probably found out through social media what he'd been up to. 13 well, women. found out at the campfire. But yeah, 13 women accused him. That's crazy. One asshole. I'm off the tour. So then another band hops on the tour and their fucking vocalist also gets accused of rape by like four women, like a sexual assault or some shit like that, by four women. And then we, we're on tour under Three Diamond Marketing with this motherfucker named, uh, well, I can, Joseph Borland, motherfucker from New York, arranged a festival in fucking, in fucking Kentucky, in Louisville, Kentucky, called Kentucky Irate Fest. This motherfucker... He first of all, he fucked us over for this entire tour. We should have we should have known better. We, we he, he pulled he pulled he pulled the TLC on us. It was fucked up. We're fucking dumb. We learned our lesson. Pulled the TLC. I don't know, but this is happening in Kentucky. I feel like I'm gonna have to message Kent about all of this and tell him I've got some gossip. I'm, I'm sure Kent's into the deathcore scene of Kentucky. Kent likes his rock and roll. It, it, <laughs> not like deathcore. Death not these fuckers. They're, they're <laughs> this everyone. is like Kent's a once... good man. This is like one step away from like the juggalos, you know? <laughs> but this motherfucker also had women accuse him of sexual assault. 
Holy fuck. Nick, he was in the sexual assault. Everybody's now this festival is a fucking nightmare. He signed some like huge fucking bands. Oceano, Slaughter to Prevail, fucking uh, uh, goddamn Sign of the Swarm, all kinds of shit. And, Are they all rapists too? It sounds like the whole scene is just a you know, it's very rapey, very rapey. You know, it's funny when we talk about like our uh, punk bands that maybe some like cool old guy in Ohio knows about. Everyone else is probably like. Is- is Asian Babes a band? <laughs> well, you know, them. to be honest, I don't Flesh know anything. Tones? I don't know anything about this scene. I don't know any of these bands. I know nothing. It's not. Uh, it's not for me. Yeah, I mean, I love metal, but I, you know, the many different genres of metal. There are some oh, genres totally. of metal that I'm not too into, and I think Deathcore is one of them. <laughs> is Bathory a band? <laughs> Although I've heard Big Papa Smurf has sent in uh, some of his songs, and they're actually pretty good. Really heavy. Band, Super though. heavy. Yeah. And, and, and then he calls, this, this he calls in a fucking fake bomb threat to get the festival canceled so he doesn't have to pay out all these fucking local bands and he and his other little fucking crony were uh, translating. I, it, was, it, it was a goddamn shit show. Why? I had no clue when I went on tour. Well, there's a part two. But what the fuck? So this guy puts on a tour. And then he doesn't have to pay any of the bands because he calls in a bomb threat? God, my tours are all so tame and just lovely, staying in, like, squatting in DIY punk venues across Europe and just eating communal chili and just, like, being really nice to everyone. How many (laughs) rapists, how many sexual predators were in your scene? None. (laughs) Now, every so often, especially in the DIY punk scene, it does come out. But never to this extent where somebody's like, and he raped 14 women. Well, this like, guy's boasting about it. He's at the campfire being like, oh, yeah, you know, I raped these 13 girls. It's like, what? Yeah. I couldn't imagine. I, that's never happened to me. I couldn't imagine, like, sitting there, you know, having a drink with some, some dudes I don't know. And then one of them's like, oh, yeah, I raped, like, three girls. I, I would leave after, like, being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'd kind of want to push his face into the fire. I wouldn't physically attack him. I would just be like, dude, you're fucked, and I don't want to be associated with you, and I'd just leave. I'd chuck my chicken leg in his face and call him a cunt. He is, yeah, would definitely be a cunt. So it's Big Papa Smurf again. I didn't mean to go over three minutes. I tried to keep him short, but this this, this, this one was just too much. Um, I had no clue that when I went on tour that I would just be fucking surrounded by rapists. That shit is insane. I've never... I've I've never seen some shit like this in my it's life. A bit surreal. Um, yeah, these mother these like these, these, so the dude that got accused by like thirteen chicks like he had, they had enough like of a following for fucking like Loudwire to pick their pick up their fucking story. Wow. And there, and and this dude's just getting dragged through the fucking dirt and like I I, I he's in court right now fighting some shit, trying to do a defamation character thing or something like that, but like, like the way, and, I, and I've known this guy for like five months, the way he talks, the way he like talks about women, like he, like you, like he, the way, he, it wouldn't be hard to believe, because right? he like objectifies them like to the point where he's like, do you even see, do you even see these people? So, I guess he's fucked, like that, that entire band is fucked. I just feel bad for the guys that were that didn't do fucking anything that were just sitting around a campfire eating chicken legs. Well, it would just suck to be in that guy's band. I mean, I don't know how you could be in a band 
when the singer or whatever is is a rapist. Okay, like I always rapist. say this about like the Lost Prophets or Gary Glitter. Like the rest of the band are just legit mu- musicians going about their job. They didn't know that their lead singer was wanting to fuck a 12-month-old. They didn't know that their lead singer was like trying to solicit young girls from Vietnam. You know what I mean? They're just like they're just there. They're making music, they're making some money, they're getting their PRS checks. And then when this happens, that's your livelihood gone. And if you've spent like lost profits, Gary Glitter were in the biz for how long? And then you suddenly have to try and make a living again, you are absolutely fucked. Yeah, but I think oftentimes, I'm not trying to like blame them or point blame at anyone, but I think oftentimes you're aware, like, yeah, you know, my the lead singer's a bit of a pervert. He's into some weird shit, and you just kind of turn a blind eye to it because you're making money. I think I I'm thinking like with Gary Glitter, they knew people knew. I think probably with Gary Glitter, but I do, I don't think anybody knew the level of uh, the of child of, rape yeah, that the Ian Watkins guy. was up to. But I'm just saying, Prophets. if I was in a band and the lead singer was even accused of being, you know, especially accused by one girl, let alone thirteen, I'm not going to be in a band with that person anymore. Yeah. 13 girls are coming to, to, to accuse you. I'm not going to vote for a president who's been accused by 18, gir- 18 women of, of, uh, of raping them. You That's know, true, I mean, but- it's, th- there are certain lines I won't cross. What's interesting about this, though, is this, so in the death core scene, I'm not surprised to find out, like, yeah, there's a lot of uh, sexual predators in death core, death core scene. It just... It, Seems to make sense. I'm not like that shocked about it, but it'd be way better if it was the indie folk scene. Like if it was oh, like Mumford be- and Sons or just a bunch of rapists. And today <laughs> like, it has come out and been announced that River Kumos of the band Weezer has raped 23 terriers. Yeah, it would just be a mate or like the Fleet Foxes or one of those bands. You're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Really? You guys are all rapists? Hootie and the Blowfish are rapists. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You know, drinking beer, having a good time. And then, you know, they find out one of their best friends is a rapist. That's, uh, I don't know how you deal with something like that. All right, anyway, I'll keep it thick, keep it wrong. Uh, have a good one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the vitriol, D. I know it hurts your feelings. You don't have to admit it. It does. <laughs> it does. It's, I take it personally. Big Papa Smurf. Um, wow, good to hear from you, man. Glad, uh, glad you're still rocking. You're rocking his business, and business is good. Good. You know? So it's it's good to know that Big Papa Smurf is still rocking. But you gotta watch out, dude, in that scene. Holy fuck! I yeah, know. I definitely, I would not take like if one of those guys offered me a mixed drink, I wouldn't take it. I don't think that you're too old for them, honey. Who knows? They also they sound like opportunistic <laughs> rapists here. I mean. I think the takeaway from this is I wouldn't go, if I was a woman, I definitely would not go to a deathcore festival. Uh, by myself alone. <laughs> yeah. A deathcore festival, don't you mean the rape festival? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a whole scene. Not, not only just the bands are rapists, the fans are probably also rapey, and the, the, the promoters that put on the show, rapists. What wow. the hell kind of scene is this? Uh, a rape scene, apparently. Very rapey. Yeah, man, God, that, that's that got to be rather eye-opening for a band where it's like you're on tour and you got all these shows booked and then you find out the headliner is a rapist. Like, would you just drop off the tour? 
I think you'd see how long you could go for, uh, definitely. But without the headline, you'd be like, well, I mean, you gotta you gotta pay your dues, and you're coming up anyways. I've certainly played to like uh, I've played to big crowds, and I've played to like crowds of like four people. You you get over it, you do it. Sometimes and the smaller gigs are actually more fun because you can get absolutely wasted at them. Yeah, but I don't think I could, in good conscience, open up for a an accused rapist. Oh, no, but like, I, I mean, if they on... dropped off the tour, yeah. there's no headliner. You just continue on and on because, hey, it's all booked. Business got to keep on rolling. You got to keep on rolling. Uh, people call Sick Around Hotline 323-522-4032. Got a couple of emails uh, to the Sick Around Podcast gmail.com account. Nice. Uh, first, this one comes from uh, Nathan. He said, I've emailed a few suggestions. and You guys sometimes use them, so here's this one. You've probably seen this already, but there's a guy in England named David Fuller who has been fucking corpses for years. Over 100 corpses, including a 100-year-old woman and a 9-year-old girl. Um, uh, some women, uh, it's kind of hard to read this grammar here, get killed a couple of women years ago, and they only found out about the... Okay, uh, uh, it's making sense. He now. killed a couple, of, killed women a couple a, of women decades ago, but he's been shagging them to satiate his urge. And they only found out about his diddling a couple of years ago when they searched his home and they, they found photographs and evidence. Um, he it says, was like anyway, last year. It, was it last year or was it two years ago? It was like last year, two years, yeah. It was a couple of years ago. I remember we talked about it, did it, the whole story on the second show. This has now become a long running debate on the second show slash argument between us because I don't see anything fucking wrong with it. It, it initiated the uh, necrophilia debate. Where Which is Kate, ongoing. Kate has no problems with uh, people raping corpses. No issues whatsoever. Right. It's not rape because the dead cannot give consent either way. The dead are the dead. There's nothing wrong with necrophilia, especially in this case is where it stopped him murdering people. Isn't that a means to an end where it's like it stopped him murdering real life people? I mean, possibly, I guess. I just think... I just think there is something morally wrong. You shouldn't be going outside raping corpses. Not to mention... Just the, the disease that could be spread from a rotting Cops, corpse. Corpses are gross, right? But if somebody wants to go and shag a corpse, let them fucking do it. Like, just let them on with it. What's the problem with it? I'm not going to rehash this debate with you, but <laughs> in a society, in a well-adjusted society, you don't rape corpses, and you also don't eat um, corpses either. Again, I don't see anything wrong with eating a corpse. Do whatever the fuck you want with a corpse. Like, they're just, they're just a bag of meat. Like, you can do what you want. Disagree. Anyway. <laughs> um, Nathan writes, I got a shit story that I've been meaning to call in with for the last 12 years. I'll have to do Nathan. that at some point. Please, yeah, Nathan, been, I need to hear this. He's been saving it for 12 years. I know the suspense is killing me. Come on. Um, he says, lick my balls. Nathan, the Essex dogger. Oh. Isn't? Isn't Big Titty Goth Detective from Essex? She is. She must know him from the She probably meetings. totally knows him from the dogging scene. <laughs> she must do. She was there. Big Titty Goth Detective. If you can call in, let us know if you uh, know a guy named Nathan from the dogging scene in Essex. I'd like to know that. He has a really good shit story. Yeah. He's been saving it for 12 years. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nathan, go to go to the Patreon. You can hear us. I think it was like last year we when this guy was found when this guy was arrested. We we covered the story. Yeah. Uh, Tim writes in, "Hey D and Kate, I enjoyed the discussion about Maiden and Sabbath albums, uh, and uh, the last week on Patreon. 
It might be cool to have a music albums episode in the future or another uh, installment of D's Wacky Records. Keep it sick, Tim. Um, you know, Wacky Records, I, I only did one. I, I do want to do another one, but it was difficult because I had to like mic up my, my albums and it, it was difficult. I, I might do that again. But what I was thinking of doing is uh, Kate and I both have, I don't want to say an obsession, but we definitely have an adoration of Australian like 70s punk. And so I was thinking of doing like a special episode where we play some of our favorite uh, Aussie punk bands from the I 70s, fucking love early that. 80s. Yeah. And we could just kind of go back and forth. Um, so we'll probably end up doing that. I'm probably not going to actually play the vinyl. We'll probably end up playing the MP3s because it'll be a little well, bit easier. Yeah, I was about to say some of the vinyl is just like impossible to get. Like I've always wanted the fun things uh, OP, but like to get that is about a thousand pounds. You can get a reissue, but like. Just for a seven too. Yeah, I love fun things. I think they're probably my favorite of all the Australian bands. And do you know who's to thank for all of that? Dennis Ron Tech. fucking Ashton. Yeah, and Dennis Tech. He was kind of trained well, he, by Ron. He's yeah. from, he learned how to play guitar because of Ron fucking Ashton. It is funny when you when you listen to these bands, and maybe that's why I like uh, this that genre of 70s um, Australian punk. It's like the riffs are almost all Ron Ashton riffs. I mean, it sounds just like the Stooges. Like, and, and, and they did it so well. Like all these bands so from, well. that, from that era. And they're yeah. all singing about like just Australian things, like drinking beer and having fights. I love it. Yeah, but I don't know what happened to Australian music since then, especially recent. Um, God, I think, yeah, recent, don't, right, we were talking about this uh, privately, I fuck, one of my biggest pet hates is because people think I'm into, like, different type of music, that I will like Amel and the Sniffers, they are probably my number one most hated band of all time, and if I could, like, just throw a band into a vat of acid, it would be them, because they don't know where they've come from, they don't appreciate anything, none of them are fucking record buying cunts and they're just like what I call Gucci punk where they will do Posers. anything to be on the front cover of Vogue and they'll do nothing to spend a thousand pounds on a fun thing EP fuck them I've been calling them anal and the sniffers for so long that I just forget that their name is actually Amol and the sniffers well I'm going to start calling them anal and the sniffers I absolutely hate them I hate the chats all of it is terrible do you know what I'm going to put I'm going to put it on the line it was silver chair that started all of this Oh, I've been, yeah, when was so, well, because there are other bands too, like uh, Wolf Mother. Terrible. Yeah. Although they're, ju they're just a kind of generic rock and roll band. Yeah. So they're probably not really terrible. I didn't find Although, them as you know, offensive as Anal um, and the Sniffers. I know the Datsuns are New Zealand, but the Datsuns were really good. Can you remember there's a harmonic generator, intermodulator, I don't know if I know them. That's a great album. Hmm. I'll have to check it out. Anyway, Tim. Um, Tim's a patron, so he he's uh we're probably gonna do this next couple weeks. Maybe when Kate's when Kate's in town. When I'm over. Because yeah. my favorite thing about the wacky records was listening to you take huge bong hits in between. <laughs> every yeah, I was record. getting really stoned when I was playing that. Yeah. Um yeah, we'll do that again. Um anyway, but yeah, that, that, that's on Patreon. And what, and once again, thank you to all the listeners that that support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you keeping it sick and keeping it wrong. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Uh, finally, if you want to get uh, some Sick and Wrong merch, you can buy a number of t-shirts, a number of t-shirt designs at our uh, Tee Public store, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope and uh, get yourself some Sick and Wrong merch. Finally, here's Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. Um, attentive listeners will, uh, will, will 
will kind of see through this song and understand the hint that I'm trying to give people. Um, but it's a very, it's a classic song. One of my favorite Sparks songs, actually. Sparks are a great band. Um, uh, Russell and Ron Mayle, the Mayle brothers. Uh, you, you know they're from uh, Los Angeles originally? Yeah, yeah, I did. I always think they're an Ohio band. They've just got something very Ohioan about them. Well, what's interesting about the about Sparks is they're a Los Angeles band from the seventies, really influential, amazing. There's all their actually all their records are really good, but their seventies albums are amazing, especially this one. Um, but they were never big here, and then they moved to London, and they became yeah. you know huge in London and Europe. They were huge in Europe, had number one hits there. Yeah, but, but the I always slag this off because you fuckos had to have Kiss, <laughs> whereas we had glam rock. And I, oh, we've got T Rex, we've got Dave Bowie, we've got Slade, you've got Kiss. Uh, yeah, I know which side of the pond I'm on, mate. There, yeah, we had we, Blondie as well. You didn't even have Blondie. Blondie was one of our bands. We also had the Stooges. They were no, the, the Blondie Dolls. was ours. Blondie was huge where, in Britain where did, first. Where did Blondie start? New York City. Yeah, Blondie started CBGBs. in New York. Weren't Ramones, appreciated. Also, came over here, appreciated. Ramones, also the U.S. So, I think we, I think we influenced a lot of your music. Put it that way. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, right. this band though was recognized in Europe, and then uh, it took years for them to be really recognized here. Um, I actually saw uh, Sparks at the El Rey. God, this is probably like two or three years ago, and I was standing in line to get tickets. Weird Al Yankovic right behind me. His favorite oh, band. Oh, your buddy. Yeah. And I was chatting with him about Sparks. He was like, favorite band. And during the show, he was so into it. He was there by himself, too. Oh, my God. I can see it now you've said it. Yeah. Oh, such, a, yeah. such a great band. Anyway, we're going to end the show here with the song Angst in My Pants from, uh, from the album Angst in My Pants by uh, my favorite band, Sparks. Um, we'll be back next week with episode 865. Till then, take it sleazy. Hope it doesn't show It'll go away It's just a passing phase It'll go away You can't just go
I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. <laughs> 